Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. I'm Rachel Woody. I'm here with Bob Switzer and Jim Strauss at Seven Bridges Winery, and it is July 25th, 2016. And my first question for you guys is why wine? Um, I like to drink wine. <laughs> uh, I got into wine um, after college. I moved to, uh, I had a job in Silicon Valley, and my grandparents lived in Sonoma. And um, I hadn't seen them a whole lot growing up. I grew up on the East Coast, and so I would go visit them a lot on the weekends. And um, what are you going to do up there but go wine tasting? And so uh, we did a lot. And um, I got to, got to be exposed to a lot of different wines and got to drink some pretty nice wine and, and really grew to just love the whole um, uh, the wine itself, but also the, the community, uh, the, the wineries, and getting to see how things were done. And, uh, so later when I had an opportunity to uh, get into it as a business, um, actually as a hobby, uh, it started, um, I was excited to do that. So um, I also like wine, which I think uh, is kind of a prerequisite to getting into this business. Um, uh, I, I got to say, pretty much since I was um, uh, old enough to drink, whatever age that might have been. I've always uh, gravitated towards wine. Um, actually, you know, as far as getting into the wine business, it's totally because Bob started making wine. I liked his wine. He invited me to uh, kind of join him. So um, it's, it's been really fun. I've, I've enjoyed the whole process. How did you two meet? We're neighbors. Yeah, we have uh, our daughters are best friends, and so um, I think they met first and uh, started hanging out. And then, Without a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> and um, we met that way. Mm-hmm. And did each of you have like a, a gateway wine or one of those wines where it's just like, oh, this is love, this is meant to be? Um, yeah, I did. Um, there are a lot of wines that I like, but uh, the first one that was that way for me was um, it was a Zinfandel. Uh, from Sonoma's place I used to go with my grandparents and um, it was from uh, Limerick Lane. It was probably like in 94, 95. Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say that there was, there's one that stands out for me, um, but certainly uh, the type of wine that we make is what I gravitate towards and, and you know, what I really enjoy. So the uh, um, bigger red wines are most attractive to me. Mm-hmm. And how did you guys go from it being a hobby to a legitimate operation? Yeah. So um, when we started, um, it was myself and Kevin Ross, uh, who's a friend of mine, and he had been making wine in his garage uh, as a hobby. And um, I joined him um, one fall. You know, I said, "Hey, I'd like to see what you're doing." And um, uh, Pretty quick, I, I fell very hard and fast for the uh, for the whole process. It was it was a lot of fun. It was everything I kind of thought it would be, and more kind of more satisfying, more rewarding. And so um, 
we were scheming about, you know, we were making pretty good wine, uh, but we were talking about well, how could we make it better, you know, and how, how good of a wine could we make? And um, so, well, to make better wine, we'll have to make more. We need enough to uh, put the wine into barrels. Um, we want to be able to blend some different varietals and that sort of thing. And pretty quick, looking at those numbers, that was, that was too much to make as a, a hobby. And um, so we decided uh, the way around that was to, if we got a commercial license, then we could just sell the wine to some of our friends, like Jim. And, um, and he could pay for our hobby. And uh, so that, that, was the, <laughs> that was the big plan. How convenient um, for you. Yeah, it was, uh, was going to be um, you know, really small um, and, and just to see what we could do. So um, once it started, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of addictive. You know, we get access to different grapes and, oh, I want to try that, I want to do this. And all of a sudden, it, it got bigger and bigger. And the wine um, was better than what I ever thought we could make. Um, and so then I wanted to make more. And, um, and so then it became uh, a, true, a really legitimate business um, fairly quickly. So um, again, I, I reckon this, uh, compare this to um, uh, Tom Sawyer whitewashing the fence, right? So, you know, look how much fun we're having and uh, look how great this is. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I start actually working with Bob and Kevin and, and that seems like it's, it's a lot of fun. And then eventually, well, I should just be part of the business. Um, and um, again, he, I was tricked into it, basically. We started start with free labor, <laughs> but that wasn't good enough. <laughs> then we needed some, some money, too. Wow, it's a pain for his own labor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And describe your respective roles with this business. Um, I, I do the, the winemaking. Um, so, um, that's my main role. Most of the most of the operational activities are under under my. Uh, either I do it firsthand or um, have some helpers. Mm -hmm. okay. And I sell the wine mostly through other helpers. So. Have you guys ever dabbled in sort of the other person's realm, or is it pretty separate? No, it's there's a lot of crossover. Um, the you know the, Jim's done every aspect of the wine making. Um, the hands-on work, um, uh, and I'm more guiding that, you know, because it takes a crew to make wine. It's not a, it's not a one-person job, um, and so you know, Jim definitely participates in that, and I help out in the tasting room. But um, you know, we try and keep some ownership over the two areas, and then when we're in the other, we're a helper. Mm -hmm. Would you say your vision for what taste you're after is fairly compatible or similar? It's amazingly compatible, actually. So, in general, we'll taste something and we'll be, oh yeah, that's the way we want it to taste uh, if we're doing a blending or whatever. So uh, I, I think, um, in general, pretty, pretty, pretty close. Yeah, and I think that was one of the, the reasons that um, Jim ended up being a partner is because I would, um, so early on, you know, Jim joined as a partner a few years into the, into the process. Um, in the meantime, I was bringing home um, barrel samples and we were preparing for, um, to put together blends and that kind of thing. And so I'd come home, Jim, you know, can you come over and help me 
<laughs> help me drink this wine. That was the part. Of, <laughs> that was the part of the job I I didn't really mind. Yeah. <laughs> and so we'd go through all these blends, and and I kind of knew what I was um, what I was after and what I thought about the wines because I knew them as they were growing up. You know, so I, I was really intimate with what the wines were. But sometimes that's a bad thing because I remember something that it's not anymore. You know, and so you can. It, it flavors uh, the perception of what the wine is now. So um, I didn't tell Jim anything. And um, we would do blending, we'd do trials, and he would describe what he was tasting and what he liked. And it was amazing that um, how similar it was to what, what I already thought. But it was good to get a uh, you know, neutral, neutral um, opinion on that. And so, um, yeah, we have really similar palettes. When we go through blends, um, we end up with the same, uh, the same choice on things, and um, uh, that's that's one of the more fun aspects of the business, for sure. Mm -hmm. What would you describe as the taste that you're after? What do you want Seven Bridges Winery to be known for? So, again, our intention is big, full-bodied, um, tasty uh, red wines. I mean, that, that's really the the path we're on. Um, I think for the most part, um, we accomplished that um, in, in a way that the wines are still approachable and drinkable now, but they're going to um, continue to get better for you know 10 years after, uh, after we make them. So yeah, we have um, you know in our, in our list of wines, there's many different varietals and quite different styles, um, but they do have kind of a common thing of being um, uh, pretty big in flavor. There's kind of a richness to them, which I think is a, a trait of our wines um, that I really like. But then, you know, others, I like to play with some different things. You know, certain grapes um, do well with more oak impact, whereas others, very little. And um, so there, there are different, different things within the overall uh, flavors, but, but there are also some common threads. Was it a conscious decision to not do Pinot Noir? Um, yes. I mean, it would be a lot easier to do Pinot Noir. <laughs> Shorter drive <laughs> to get the grapes. Um, I, I like Pinot. Um, I drink it. And I'm interested to try and make it, but that's not the wine that I gravitate towards when I'm looking for a wine. And so the wine that, the wine that we make is exactly the wine that I like to drink. Um, and um, it is a very different winemaking style to make Pinot Noir than to make uh, the Bordeaux reds and some of the other reds that, that we're making. Um, and there's plenty of good Pinot out there. So you know, we're, we're, we've kind of stuck with if, what we've If nothing else, um, not doing Pinot is different than what most uh, of either the um, valley wineries or the urban wineries do. So um, that should make us. Uh, at least a little bit different than some of the uh, the other uh, wineries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that wasn't that wasn't deliberate or by design, but it, it definitely happens now. You know, we go to we go to tastings and people say, uh, "I'd like to try your Pinot." And we say, well, "We don't have one," and they say, "No, really, come on, <laughs> really, yeah, we don't." Um, yeah, so it gives us a it's become an identity that we don't make Pinot. That flows well into my next question, which is, how do you market your reds in a sea of Pinot? 
Mr. Mr. Sales and Marketing. So, so like I said, I think they stand out um, for people who really like the, the bigger wines. Um, when you, I mean, Pinot's great. I mean, and, and Oregon is famous for Pinot. So what I think we're really trying to develop is um, an Oregon presence in the um, in, in the other reds, um, and uh, you know, trying to match our um, wine and our message and our um, our branding all kind of head in that direction. So trying to stand out amongst that sea of Pinot is really what we're trying to do. So where do you get the grapes for the big bold red? East. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously it's not hot enough here, although today pretty hot. Um, but you really need a hot climate to grow the, the reds that, that we make. And so um, Eastern Oregon and Eastern Washington, um, basically all over the Columbia Valley, we get a lot of fruit from Walla Walla, Yakima, and um, some other areas like Echo, Oregon, um, some pretty obscure but really good uh, growing conditions out there. Have you thought about or dabbled in Southern Oregon grapes, or have you found this the East is what you're looking for? So um, I grew up in Southern Oregon, so I'm, I'm very interested in um, possibly doing something down there. In fact, uh, my parents still have a cattle ranch down there. Uh, you know, we've, we've looked at potential sites down there for um, either buying grapes or even planting grapes. So, you know, there's some, probably some things on the horizon that uh, will p put us in that space. Yeah, one of the one of the difficulties in the labeling laws is um, has to do with blends, and so and we do blend a lot of our reds. So, um, when when you blend a certain percent of the grapes, um, most of them have to be from one AVA or region to be able to call it that. And um, so all of our grapes are Columbia Valley. Some of them are more specific, like Walla Walla or like Yakima. Um, and then you have Southern Oregon with all of its AVAs. So if you know we had a grape that we got from down there and grapes that we got from Columbia Valley and wanted to include them in a blend together, we couldn't call it anything. We could just call it American wine. Um, and, and that's not going to sell well. <laughs> so it's too bad, you know, because it would be fun to, that, I think that's been an obstacle to us just um, experimenting with some grapes at, uh, down there is, um, you know, that, that logistic. But at some point, I'm sure we will try some grapes and Jim will probably plant a vineyard and Excellent. give me free grapes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And Bob, you indicated that you're pretty involved, at least with getting to know the grapes as they were growing through the season. Could yeah. you describe what that's like and how much work or um, intention you do with that part of it? Yeah, I, um, so I'm very involved with the, uh, from the time we start making the wine. Um, so I know the wines from birth to, uh, uh, to bottle. But the, um, the grapes, um, I don't monitor terribly close uh, what's going on in the vineyard. Um, the, the approach I like to take is, um, it, first of all, it's very important what grapes we get um, and, and the quality and everything about them. So um, what I found works well is to um, find a vineyard and a vineyard manager that I can work with um, in a way that I tell them what I'm looking for and say, how would you, you know, how can you give me that? 
um, because they are experts at growing grapes. I'm, I, you know, I, I think it's silly for me to go in and tell them how to grow the grapes in their vineyard. Um, and if I can tell them what I'm looking for, they deliver the grapes, I try it out, does it fit my winemaking style? And if it fits well or very well, then we've got a great match. And then we continue to use that vineyard. Um, and, and it works really well. Um, you know, the, the grower likes it because they're growing um, the way they think it should be grown. And that's very repeatable and easy for them to know what to do. And I get a consistent result from it. So I like to go out and visit the vineyards. In fact, we're going tomorrow. We're going to go visit um, uh, about half of our vineyards, probably, and um, just kind of say hello, see how you know, see how the vines are doing, um, get an idea for yield, um, any uh, potential concerns, you know, things like that that are happening. But um, in terms of directing the um, directing what's going to happen in the vineyard, I leave that to them. So it's probably going to be 94, 95 degrees out there in yeah. Walla Walla tomorrow. So. Right. <laughs> Stay cool out there. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say your winemaking philosophy is? Philosophy. Um, or style. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it is about the it's about the end product. Um, there, you know, there are there are a lot of people that you know don't like to do much, like to do things naturally, like to you know they have a. A philosophy about the process and for me it's more about the product um, so whatever it takes to get there um, you know so um, I've learned a lot about different things I can do to manipulate the wines to have them become um, what I want and sometimes they come in lacking something and I try and figure out how to either by blending or by uh, um, adding some acidity to it or you know whatever whatever it might be um, learning how to bring up the best in, in whatever the wine is. Um, so I guess that's, that's a philosophy. It's, um, the wine's gonna have a particular character regardless of um, what I do. You know, it's still gonna be able to tell that it's from a particular vineyard, that it's you know, a particular grape. You know, all those things are going to be there. And then for me, it's trying to maximize uh, the good qualities. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that Bob is able to do um, because of the um, breadth of um, vineyards that we, we get our grapes from, he's able to take um, you know, a small amount of, say, Petit Verdot and add it to a specific varietal and say, okay, you know, that really um, increases the, the flavor or that really changes the way this wine you know, tastes and feels in your mouth. And um, it doesn't take that much. But again, if you didn't have that spread, uh, that geographic spread, and that all of the different options, because you were, you know, tied to one specific vineyard, um, I think it really, really is a Im potential um, improvement. So. So before you started the wine venture, what were your career backgrounds and expertise in? Um, we still have career backgrounds. Uh, <laughs> um, my, I'm an engineer by training. Um, I worked uh, a bunch of places in Silicon Valley, uh, semiconductor, um, software, telecom, kind of everything. And then um, more recently, I and currently, I work for a biotech company doing. Uh, we do neurological research. Okay. 
so still very much have another day job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I uh, also work for a high-tech company. In fact, uh, Bob and I worked for the same company. We didn't know each other 20-something oh, wow. years ago. Yeah. Um, and I work in sales, uh, work mostly with one of our really large customers in, in the local area, so. And then did you guys, how did you get ready for the winery part, I guess? Was there some education, just some trial and error? What was that like to prepare for? Uh, you know, Bob gave me some books to read. I pretended <laughs> like I read them. Drank <laughs> <laughs> a lot of water. <laughs> yeah. sure. Practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah all of the above. Uh, I read a lot of books and suggested them to Jim. And um, uh, a, lot, a lot of trial and error. You know, so but my first start, as I mentioned, was what, with um, Kevin Ross, the other founder. And um, I started making wine with him didn't really know anything about the process and then started reading and, and learning and um, you know and in the wine industry people learn from each other a lot mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the things I really like about it is people really share and help each other and it's a it's a nice community um, but then the, you know the other side of it is there there are definite um, things to learn so I I started taking some some courses uh, locally and then um, ended up going through the UC Davis winemakers uh, certificate program mm -hmm. um, which was really great um, it was a lot of work uh, but it, it was nice because it gave me a really solid foundation of um, uh, I'll just say facts you know so there were um, a lot of building blocks it, it, it was interesting how how little they taught how to make wine and how much of it was you know this is these are all the elements and these are all the pieces and you know everyone's going to make wine differently so they're not teaching anything in, with regards to style um, or anything like that it was it was just all about the um, the mechanics and faults and how to fix or avoid and and all these types of things and so um, that was that gave me a re I feel a really good foundation and and also helped because um, you know winemakers are very helpful and it's, you know they're happy to offer advice and uh, sometimes it's wrong <laughs> yeah. and and you know there you get you get these um, you know kind of urban myths about you know the way things work and you know this is the cause and effect um, and uh, what I learned was to be a, a real skeptic about about a lot of that so um, I always welcome advice and then I'll um, if it sounds good I'll go and uh, confirm it and make sure that it's that that, that really is the way it works And uh, just the reading list for you? Uh, again, <laughs> a lot of wine drinking. It's important. Yeah. He focuses more on the, the lab aspect of the course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Uh, please tell us the story behind the name of Seven Bridges Winery. Um, we originally, when we first started the winery, um, so Kevin and I played soccer together, and so we had um, we named the business after um, an Italian word for soccer, um, and that was kind of a, a placeholder. And then we were trying to think of the name, um, what we were going to call it, uh, and it's it's really hard. It's it's almost worse than naming a, a child, you know, trying to figure out um, what to call it. And so at the time we didn't have our location either you know so we were planning the winery we were going to maybe do it um, out of one of our garages you know as a business and that wasn't going to fly um, so then um, some friends of ours were um, looking to buy a building uh, for their business 
and they wanted to buy a bigger building than what they needed, and they were going to lease out space. And we said, hey, you know, find one that has space for a winery in it. And, um, and they did, uh, and it was, it was this building, and they said, hey, we've got a, um, there's a little basement, and it was about 1,500 square feet, and um, it had um, all concrete walls, pipes hanging down about five feet high, um, no electricity, no plumbing, and, um, and, and a ladder to get in and out. And uh, we said, perfect, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll take it. Um, so it was uh, you know, definitely a um, different phase of the business, so it was, it was low budget. Um, but then we were, you know, so we're here and at location, it's right on the, right on the river. Um, we've since moved upstairs into this much nicer space. Um, but from, from this spot on the river, you can see seven bridges. Um, and so it sounded good and we decided to make that our name. And I believe the label has soccer balls still incorporated? It does. Obviously, purposefully. It, it is. Um, yeah, there's uh, definitely a nod to, to a soccer ball somewhere on the label, mm -hmm. if you can find it. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. we had some fun <laughs> earlier when we were doing research. Uh-huh. Uh, so you touched on it a little bit, uh, but we'd love to hear more on you know, why choosing an urban winery versus going more rural, for example, mm -hmm. and sort of the, the pros and cons of that. Mm -hmm. So I think the advantage to our customers is, hey, you can go down to Seven Bridges and um, talk to the people who make the wine and see the wine in barrels and you know, get the exposure of what happens in a winery without having to drive you know, four or five hours to get to Walla Walla. Um, you can come here, you know, especially for our wine club members, you can come in on pretty much any weekend, do a tasting, see how things are going, um, you know, pick up a few bottles of wine. It's really, I mean, it's, it's convenient, I think, as much as anything. And, you know, most of our wine is sold directly out of the, out of the tasting room. So that's kind of the, so far at least, that's been our, our business model. And, um, uh, it seems to be working. So. Yeah, it's um, you know I love going out to, to the valley, going to visit vineyards and wineries. It's it's beautiful. It's a great experience, um, and this is too. It's just different, um, you know. And so that's it's kind of just one more one more variable that you can do. And there's you know lots of urban wineries now, and um, you know the spaces are incredibly unique compared to what you would get. You know, when it's a more design, you know, there's, there's a classic winery, you know, you expect to go out, and, you know, and I see the vines, and they've got, um, you know, big oak doors, and yeah. um, it's, everyone likes that, and we do too, but, um, you know, this is, you know, people drive up, and I've seen people drive up, and they look around, and like, really, there's a, you know, <laughs> I think we're in the wrong place, you know, but there's the sign, so, um, and they come in, they're like, oh, yeah, and um, so it's, uh, it's just different, and it, it works really well. In, in Portland. How have you seen the Portland urban winery scene evolve in the time you've been here? Well, it's evolved a lot. Um, we are, so we started in 2008. Um, we're at this point the third oldest winery in Portland. Um, and, you know, so when, when we first came in, there wasn't, there wasn't much going on. Um, but it was, um, 
it was already kind of a close group. And um, you know, we got together and formed uh, uh, PDX Urban Wineries. And uh, you know, most of the wineries in the city joined that right away. And um, that gave us a way to um, you know, kind of help each other out in terms of marketing, do some joint events, and uh, just navigate the um, complexities and uh, intricacies of having a winery in an urban setting. Um, so that was, it was kind of nice to have that, that brotherhood of wineries working together. Yeah, I, I think um, if you looked across the United States, um, there are really only, a, now there's a few cities, a few different cities that have kind of an urban uh, winery movement. And I think, you know, Portland's probably, you know, in the forefront of that uh, movement. So um, things will continue to evolve uh, for, the, you know, for the coming years. And people will get in it and out of it. Um, hopefully, we'll, we'll be one of the um, businesses that, that stays, stays afloat and can keep our, our business going. So. Uh, in addition to the PDX Urban Wineries Group, are you involved in some of the other organizations? Not really. No, that's that's kind of the only one, and um, we we've been. I think part of this is because we've been lucky enough in terms of sales and um, uh, you know, kind of word of mouth. You know, our 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 sales has been mostly word of mouth. No mm -hmm. offense to Jim. Yeah, um, it's true. But <clears throat> uh, so we haven't needed to be involved in his, these other groups to get to get exposure. Um, we do some other. Uh, we go to some other events like Italy in the Valley, and, mm -hmm. and you know that's fun. We bring we have a couple of uh, Italian varietals. We'll bring those. Um, so those are all fun, and we get some some extra contacts. And um, but but mostly uh, mostly it's the PDX Urban Wineries. When we do other things, it's kind of for fun. Mm -hmm. A lot of local events. Um, we actually hosted uh, the PDX Urban Wine event here in May. Um, it was actually turned out really, really well. It was, it was good. I think you know, uh, Bob did a nice job of arranging the space so there was enough room. I think maybe we had 150 people, you know, uh, in that in that afternoon. It was, it was really nice. Excellent. So you mentioned there's some complexities to being an urban winery and working together with the PDX Urban Wine Group. What are some of those complexities, and and how have you been able to get over them, or Navigate them. Right. Um, it's mostly logistics in, in the winemaking process. So, you know, if you go to um, kind of a, a normal, a traditional winery, um, they have a big outside space where they do all the crush activities and they clean everything, and um, you know, the water drains into a field or it drains, you know, and um, we can't use the outside space at all. Um, you know, it's, it's street outside. And so um, everything has to happen inside. And um, because we're, it's all one space, you know, we have production, you know, barrel storage, tasting room, all of our case goods. Um, you, you, you can't just take a hose and, and spray all over the place, you know, for instance. So it's, um, it's a challenge to, um, to come up with uh, the, the logistical plan to, to separate those and to um, and to still be able to do things the way we want from a production standpoint. Um, I think, other than that, I think there it's more there's more advantages to being 
urban winery, because people are right here, you know, so they can they can walk over. You know, we have wine club members um, all over the neighborhood next to here, and some of them come over every weekend because they get free tasting and they take advantage of it. You know, and it's great. Um, so I think the I think the benefits outweigh, but there are definitely some things that have to be done differently. Uh, you know, although. I like this space, and I think people, you know, they're engaged in this space. Um, it's hard to compete with, you know, sitting out in the uh, countryside looking across, you know, acres and acres of, of grapevines growing on a beautiful, you know, Saturday evening or whatever. So I think that's uh, another challenge, and we just try and overcome that with, uh, you know, really good atmosphere, um, doing what we can with the space that we have, so. What's the future for Seven Bridges Winery? Where would you like to see it go? That's a good question. Um, it's because it's a secondary um, job for both of us. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that we enjoy tremendously, um, put a lot of work into, but um, it's also something that we have, I guess, the luxury of not having to have a a very firm plan as far as that goes. Um, we're growing um, still, although we, we slowed down our growth early on. We, we grew at um, you know, anywhere from 30 to 50 percent year over year uh, in, in production. We, our first year in 2008, we had uh, 350 cases, and we're up to about 2,500 cases now. Um, but we've slowed that down, and, and now we're kind of trying to figure out how to, um, whether to stay at this level and um, you know, at this level, is it something, we're trying to strike a balance between um, having it be manageable, um, being able to make some money in the business at some point, um, and, but, but more importantly, to be able to continue to make the quality of wine that we're making. And so I think there is a potentially an upper threshold on how much wine can be made and still have the uh, attention to detail that, that we're able to, um, able to achieve now. And so we wouldn't, if we went above that, then there would be no point in doing this. You know, that's, that's just against our whole reason for having a winery in the first place. Yeah, so Bob and I have, uh, at least occasionally, sat down and tried to figure out a, a real good answer to your question. And we're still working on the uh, exact answer. Um, I will say, though, you, you have to plan well in advance. It's a, you know, the, the cycle for making the wine. We're, right now we're selling wine that we made three years ago, right? So, and based on both the varietals that we pick, uh, the blends that we make, um, and the volume, I mean, that's a lot of knobs to try and say what's going what's to work three years from now as opposed to what's going to work, you know, in a, in a month. Um, so it's, uh, it's just it's an interesting question and uh, uh, right now we're just again trying to grow as much as we can incrementally so that's fair mm. it is hard to predict at least three years out yeah <laughs> yeah I mean you know because we look at three years ago um, it, it's just crazy how, how different it was um, you know so we're yeah, the decisions we make right now, you know, for harvest, that's three and four years from now. That, that's when that, that comes to fruition. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, where do you see the future for Portland urban wineries in general? Where do you think that might evolve? So my uh, my thought is, uh, uh, you know, a dozen or so, maybe 15 urban wineries right now. I imagine that there's a, a limit. Um, although, you know, you look at how many um, how many breweries there are in yeah. in Portland. Um, probably it's not going to approach that. Yeah. But you know, there there's some balance in there of um, being in that same space, and you know. You, You've got the distillers in the area that are coming on. You, you know, I think it's the industry's interesting, and I think people will continue to to find space here. Um, I would say at least two or three times as many as there are right now. So, yeah, I definitely, I definitely see it growing. I mean, it has been. Um, it's almost um, you know an exponential curve. And, and how fast the, the number of new wineries are coming into the city. Um, I would agree that it's a lower, it's probably gonna be a lower number than the breweries because the, the obstacle to making wine is trickier, you know, because of, the, because of the delay. You have to wait three years, you know, with beer you can make it and sell it, you know. Um, so you, it makes you much more nimble in terms of a business being able to adjust and do things. And so I think, uh, you know, overall, the obstacles to wineries are more difficult, so we'll see a somewhat lower number, but, but wow, I, I don't think it's anywhere close to what it's going to be. What would your advice be for somebody wanting to enter into the urban wine scene? <laughs> Run! <laughs> uh, it's, um, I would... I would recommend it. I mean, I, it's it's good. It, it's funny. You know, we joke about um, it's very expensive to make wine. <laughs> you know, it's 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 costly, and because because you have all the inventory, you know, for so many years, um, it, it is a big investment. Um, you know, one of the mistakes um, we made as we were entering the business was just really, even though you can kind of pencil things out and see, you know, what that investment is going to be, I think uh, you sometimes feel like, well, you know, but probably start selling something before, you know, just, you can kind of convince yourself that, um, that it's going to be softer than it is, and the, the realities financially are that it's pretty tough. So um, you have to be uh, prepared and just really plan it up front. Um, but in terms of whether to do it or not, um, I think it's great. I, you know, I, would, I definitely would recommend it. Yeah, um, I would agree. So the, the way I see it is, um, you really, it, it takes a real commitment. You can't, don't think that you're gonna um, just get in this business and, you know, half-ass it. You, you really takes a commitment. It takes time, it takes money, it takes um, effort, and there's, uh, if, if, you don't, if you're not willing to do that, to give it that, your product's not probably gonna be good and you're probably not gonna be successful, so. Okay, those were all of my planned questions. Okay. Did you have anything that you want to talk about or was there a question I should have asked? I think you pretty much covered it yeah. all. Yeah, <laughs> that was good. Yeah. All right, well thank you both so much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees 
who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.